0: The information of Brazilian history is very complex. Sometimes we don't know, we don't have information. Of course, the trace of colonialism is hidden. Mm-hmm. So my gesture was to rethink about this history and let the earth tell me what happened there. The earth doesn't lie, there is a truth mm-hmm. there. The stratification, what the earth, what this land was before, but also the history, what the men did there. So it's like a two histories that you can witness when you are Mm -hmm. digging.
1: This is AI Murmurings, a podcast exploring intersections of contemporary art and artificial intelligence. I'm Carolyn Strauss, Director of Slow Research Lab a multidisciplinary research and curatorial platform based in the Netherlands. Conversations here focus on slow approaches to creative practice that we believe can awaken latent potentials for AI that are murmuring just under the surface. This new season of the podcast is made possible by a grant from the Resonance Foundation, a philanthropic organization in Southern California that seeks to advance, communicate, and encourage new perspectives through the creative process. Learn more at theresonancefoundation.org. Today I'm speaking with Camila Sposacci an artist who works across sculpture, drawing, performance, installation, and site-specific intervention. Her powerful creative intuition combines with elements of scientific inquiry from geology, archeology, span and chemistry to investigate visible and invisible fields of energy and processes of transformation. Originally from Sao Paulo, Brazil, her research has taken her to laboratories and landscapes in the Amazon Uzbekistan, the UK, France and Japan, among others. And today's Camila Sposacci is joining me from Vienna, where she is currently based. Camila, welcome and thank you for joining me on the podcast.
0: Thank you. Nice to be with you here in the podcast. Thank you. Well,
1: I must say that I'm so excited to have this conversation with you for so many reasons, one of which is that in researching and reflecting on your practice, I realize that it stitches together some of the ideas discussed in previous interviews here, having to do with structures of energy, with more than human presences, with non-Western cosmologies and complex intertwinings of relation. All topics that we might get a chance to touch on in the course of this conversation.
0: Thank you. It's quite exciting to talk about this, these ideas and, um, yeah, and about my work. I'm really
1: looking forward to talking about your work and what I'd like to begin with is what I see as the expanded approach to listening that suffuses your work, Mm -hmm. especially the range of forms and modalities you develop to listen more deeply, more inclusively, and also more critically, I'd say, to the ecologies we are part of. And I hope we can reflect together on your artworks also as technologies, that hint at possible futures for artificial intelligences?
0: Listening is something that I'm really intrigued now. It's something that I've been researching the last year. And um, for example, now my musical instruments, I I'm, I'm speculating about if the musical instruments can listen and how they listen and who they are listening. So it will be like sort of an organ that can digest or filter what people are saying. So at this moment, I'm thinking about this concept of listening, and I'm still working on this. I don't have a completely clear understanding of uh, political power Mm and how you deal with that.
1: Well, maybe we can get into that in this conversation. Uh, But first, let's back up a bit. Um, Camila, I first learned of your work from the wonderful curator, historian and researcher Lija Nobre who wrote an essay about one of your projects for our book that came out last year, The Slow Spatial Reader. And she wrote about an artwork called The Earth Anatomical Theater, which is a kind of nexus of your practice, from which so many other ideas and also other artworks have flowed. And um, what I wrote for my short text leading into her essay is this. In the historically contested northeast of Brazil, a hole dug in the Earth becomes a cosmopolitical invitation into the primordial womb, a healing and holding presence for transforming local histories of extraction and exploitation and for witnessing or witnessing the planet's thin and vibrant crust.
0: Yeah. This hole you dug in the Earth is also a listening device. Yeah, the earth anatomical theater is based on the anatomical theater from the 16th century. I mean, the shape is a conical shape. And, um, and my question starts by the etymology of the word theater in Greek, which we define to view, you know, it's a verb. Mm. And then I, I thought, OK, but this theater is not really to view. It's more the idea of listening, because the conical shape can be also amplifier shape. You know?
1: Right. Yeah. So it
0: starts by this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this conical theater that also somehow resembles an ear. Yeah. But also a mouthpiece, so it can be turned either way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So
0: I did the point of view of the earth is amplification of the sound of the earth. You know, like mm. because like a subterranean theatre, is the opposite of the original one, is a constructed um, theatre, and this one we dig.
1: Yeah, and the anatomical theatres from the 16th century that you refer to, and I know that you modelled yours specifically on this one from Padua in Italy, were these spaces for observing the dissection of human bodies, Exactly. They were a kind of site of spectacle in a way. They were watching. Some people thought that they could witness the soul leaving the body, for example. There was even a theologian or a priest who oversaw the design, was part of the design (laughs) process. Um, But also you have described them as temporary contemplation theaters, which is a way you also have talked about the earth anatomical theater. I mean, in those cases, they were trying to understand the functioning of the human body, right and um and in your case, it's contemplating also the body of the earth, Teja,
0: Gaia, yeah, 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 like which are and what is the earth organs, the same way that in the sixteenth century we didn't know how the organs would related to each other. Was the first time that you had the, f- the description or anatomy book, and it's amazing mm-hmm. how they describe how each organs were were working.
1: And that's interesting, also because you've talked about how actually the exact same moment in the 16th century, European colonial settlers were arriving in the so called New World and trying to understand how its body. Worked,
0: yeah. Right. Similar movements or similar kind of uh, going to the unknown. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I was really curious about what they were thinking this time of the history. You know, mm-hmm. the 16th century. so the anatomical theater is a precise theater from the 16th century, and then mm-hmm. afterwards this disappeared. This kind of architecture.
1: Your project was developed in the context of the third Bahia Biennial in the northeast of Brazil specifically on an island called Itaparica. Maybe you can first say something about why you chose that site in particular.
0: Yeah, after a long conversation with the creator, Marcelo Rezende, we were figuring out where in, in Bahia. Also super complex to dig in any case. You know, legally it's complicated to excavate. It's easier to build, so... I was trying to find out this combination where is possible when it's historically appealing for the work. <sighs> and then I was going around and then I found fascinating this part of the island is the second big island in Brazil, Itaparica. historically extremely important because in the 16th century was the place where the unislaved, would stop before they they would go to the mainland and mm. to be sold. And also a very complex island in terms of religion, because also was very important for the Candomblé religion, uh, the Christian religion. So it's really like uh, a very heavy, let's say, concentration there.
1: Yeah, concentration of all kinds of identities of social and cultural histories and asymmetrical relations of power.
0: Yeah. Itaparica, historically, is an extremely important place in terms of colonialism in Brazil. Yeah, so you located, you sort of honed in on this location, and then
1: there behind the facade of a colonial mansion, you found an abandoned area, an open area full of rubbish and overgrown, but with a large, beautiful tree, as you describe it, And it was ultimately a sort of very intimate place. And that's where you decided to construct your Earth anatomical theater.
0: Exactly. And in front of this, we call Solar, which is kind of a mansion from the 16th century. At the same time, everything now is all in ruins and the space. You still have uh, some lefts uh, or vestiges from this time but basically it's not at all more like the image of the 16th century, like it to be this abundance of uh, mm. richness and uh, mm. what the Nobel Portuguese established there. Yeah. I
1: was reading that this facade of this colonial mansion had been kind of clo- The windows had been closed off, but that for the purposes of your project, you opened them. So there was this perforation of the surface and people could see through to the site of the Earth Anatomical wow, Theatre. Yeah.
0: Yes, precisely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for this detailed observation. I, for me, was very important to kind of uh, reopen the doors. Uh, of this mansion and so to have the experience how it would be to enter in this space so you are going inside of a theater but then when you get in you have the earth as the space where you can sit and Mm. look and you have this internal experience of to be Mm. inside of the earth which is very awkward in general Mm. Um, is to be inside I mean to go down You have uh, all sorts of um, feelings, sometimes claustrophobic, sometimes Mm. like, uh, yeah, you...
1: I mean, it's interesting also because this act of digging, of course, it's the, the violence of colonialism and ongoing extraction industries that have occurred at this site, that have occurred throughout Brazil, why was your way of digging different than the way the colonists or the capitalists have dug into the earth?
0: All the idea of uh, digging, if you think about colonialism, is more about extraction and accumulation of uh, richness of the the colonies. Mm. So. My way to work on this was to really take care of the earth, so really not make a strong movement of excavation, Take care of the roots of the tree around the eight meter circular shape. Take care of the facades. So it was very gentle. And we were slowly digging down, really trying to check if there is any vestiges of any time, people living there. I would say like a very gentle and also I was all there all the time. So I moved to Bahia to be there. Yeah. And I follow the process of excavation.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful part that maybe it's important to emphasize as people also reflect on artistic process, that not every artist would do that. And it says a lot about your practice, your way of approaching Not just the site, but all the different bodies and identities um, wrapped up in a site-specific work like this. Really taking time and giving space. That's also part of the listening process, just being present and listening
0: and receiving. That's a good way to to put, like, uh, to be present is a way of listening.
1: You made a book with a number of other author contributors and beautiful images and points of reflection about the project. The book is called Stone Theater. And in it, you say that the whole is an image and also a vacuum that makes us question and feel a belonging to earth, the experience of being alive, a vitality. So you frame
0: it in terms of vitality. The transparency, let's say, like once we are digging into earth, you are also making it alive or um, rethink about this past. The information that of Brazilian history is very complex. Sometimes we don't know, we don't have information. The trace of colonialism is mm-hmm. hidden. So my gesture was also to rethink about this history and let the earth tell me what happened there. Mm. Because the official history that we learn is not informing everything, all the traces of the violence of colonialism. Mm. And um, and the earth was witness to it. Exactly. A, yeah. doesn't lie. The earth doesn't lie. There is a mm. truth there the stratification, what the earth, mm-hmm. what this land was before, but also the history, what the man did there. So it's like a mm-hmm. two histories that you can witness when you're digging. Mm-hmm. And this is fascinating, this intersection of stratification, geology, and the, actually the social history in this island. So you're listening to the earth and the Earth's
1: energies, and you're listening to, or creating a space to hold and reflect about and listen to, absorb in different ways to interweave our own understandings with the Earth. Exactly. There's a wonderful idea that's been put forward recently by the writer Amitav Ghosh, who talks about historical records and how, if plants could tell what happened, if the earth could tell what happened, if the people, the enslaved people, if their stories were, were as equally recorded as the dominant stories of the time, then our whole
0: understanding of history would be different. I'm interested, of course, in history and not dealing with official history, which is um, mm. how you... Bring from background to the foreground. Mm. The theater also that the theater doesn't have a background. You have like all foreground. Everything mm. is a subject. Mm. So for me, it's really important to bring the background noise in front. Yeah, bringing things up and that had been in the background or
1: had been invisible. In your book, the artist Jeraci Doria puts it slightly differently. He said, and I quote, that the delving you did at this site at Itaparica is a provocation because you are exposing entrails of an earth charged with human signs. And you frame it also as a kind of unveiling of energy.
0: Yeah. If you think about energy, for me, it's also related to the unknown when you are not controlling. The energy is something that is not visible. So how to deal with not visible also? Mm. If you think about this relation, energy not visible, going to the unknown, going to the inside of a human's body, Mm. and the listening is immaterial as well. So it's like if you think about this, Situations that I'm provoking when I create this theater. So mm. to believe in the unknown and mm. how you trust in this. So it's this kind of crossover that I am quite interested. Mm. And for me, that's where generate energy. Also, the uncontrolled generate energy. That's what I believe. Yeah.
1: This field of potentiality and of potency that is the unknown has been a very important um, part of my approach to slow research labs work, but also practices of not knowing that have been explored in various conversations here on the podcast. Um, We've had discussions about, you know, how science and technology try to control and understand all the variables that are input and involved. Okay. They are afraid of anomalies. Um, as opposed to thinking through, as Edouard Glissant and others would say, thinking through and moving through multiplicity and intertwining subjectivities, and that which may not be visible. I was also thinking about what you've said about the process of finding out, this controlling and not controlling, this idea of what you've called the space of uncertainty that everyone shared.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, I didn't know how we would end up at the theatre. At some point, like even the curator asked me to stop because it was too complex, the, mm. the process. Mm. For him, could be like even just the draw over the earth and then you imagine that the theatre would happen there. But mm. for me, to have the hands-on and uh, experience is super important in the work. To, to deal with the conflicts and the impossibilities as we have in our own life what is also important to believe in the work and trust that this theater is important yeah. the same way that you travel the travelers were in the sixteenth century they believe that they you find something you know if they cross yeah. in a way I was also invading a space that was not mine. Mm. Is an island. They were living there. I was provoking also then. So it was really essential that I would be there and negotiating because I needed the people involved in the project and I didn't want to be an alien in the place.
1: Mm. The essay that Lisha Nobre wrote for Slow Spatial Reader about the theater was at the beginning of a section of the book called A Spatial Imaginary of Care. And one of the references I make in introducing that part of the book really resonates with what you've been describing about the theater. It's a quote from the political ecologist Maria Puig de la Bellacasa Casa about what she calls a thick vision of caring, and she says, quote, A feminist-inspired vision of caring cannot be grounded in the longing for a smooth, harmonious world, but in vital, ethico-affective, Everyday practical doings that engage with the inescapable troubles of interdependent existences.
0: Exactly. Very beautiful.: <laughs> Yes, the caring and the caring with the local people feeling towards me and towards mm. what I'm doing. so it was essential for me that they didn't feel invaded by an art yes. project. Yes and uh, how they, I could contribute to that area. Definitely, uh, this was extremely important. Even if the, in the mainland, the museum were not totally agreeing, so not to be an artist that you kind of wait for the support, but how to make the things happen in the terms that uh, you believe in the piece, right?
1: So Camila, I understand that among these many artefacts and um, energies, let's say, that you uncovered when digging the Earth Anatomical Theatre, there is one very specific object that really has had a strong presence in your ongoing understanding of the project and in the way that other facets of your practice have, in fact, moved on from there.
0: Yeah, definitely. This is one of... Uh, amazing experience and um, discovery Mm. that I had and um, during the process of uh, of excavation we found like a piece of ceramic like a Portuguese faience earthware from 16th century and Mm. then we uh, was analyzed by the archaeologist Carlos Echevaran he was he was a professor in the Universidade Federal da Bahia. He confirmed that it was a 16th century faiança piece, and uh, because the material and the drawings and everything, he was really impressed about this. And, and me, double fascinated because the concept of my work is about 16th century, the theater is 16th century, and I found a piece from the 16th mm. century. And um, was extremely important for me you know, to have all this effort of trying to find the unknown, you know, that it was kind of a gift of the earth to me somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is interesting about this piece that there is an illustration in this fragment that you can see a uh, tropical parrot and the other way around as a, as a rabbit from more temperate climates. So there are two ways of seeing and understanding the, the the animal figure. One up is a question about perspective and interpretation, basically. And the and the parrot I understood is
1: is actually this animal that is in Brazil that is was not was in fact an exported from Brazil to Europe. That the Europeans were fascinated by this creature, and and the rabbit is a more would be maybe a more European. Animal.
0: Yeah, what is is interesting is also to understand the symbolic meanings of the rabbit. The rabbit is is more like uh, prosperous and food on the table and the the parrots, more in terms of understanding about repeating this the the language, so the Europeans were fascinating about this idea of repeating what they say. Yeah. So it was exported in a big scale to to Europe. This colorful feather animal. Yeah. But also, what I I like about this piece is about. The two images also mirror the historical situation of the encounter and what the experience brought to for both sides, like uh, European, uh, like uh, from Brazil to Europe, uh, Europe to Brazil. And you also said
1: somewhere that you emphasize the fact that the parrot speaks, as you mentioned, and imitates or reproduces while the rabbit has these long ears and has the ability to listen. So we're again in this listening ah, yeah. and speaking space.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's quite fascinating this situation. I mean, because it's very important for this project of the theater to have this the ear and the mouth that afterwards yeah. I brought in my my musical instruments. Right, right. Which we're going to talk about, and I like
1: that you say that it was the pottery shows us that it's possible to be in a zone that is two simultaneously like it can be two things it doesn't it can be multiple it can have multiple meanings and multiple avenues of perception
0: yes it's also like a situation that about rational irrational explorer exploited Yeah. yeah so i like also when you when you turn around, when you spin around this piece, you kind of create a different way of understanding the same piece. So the piece is a rabbit at the same time is a parrot. Mm. So it's about this encounter of European and non-European. Yeah, and, and uh, how they it, exist in one space, just as
1: those histories are embedded in the earth ground in Itaparica, where you dug the Earth Anatomical Theater. It's so beautiful. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, but also what I like is when the, this object spins around mm-hmm. is also offer you the possibility to think about yourself mm-hmm. because the, you kind of ask yourself, where are you from or, and why do you have this way of seeing? Why do you see this image when you look at this piece? So it's also self-reflection, self-understanding. Yeah. yeah. Very simultaneously, you ask the question, depending on what you see, so mm. it's never concluding anything. And you can see even other things. It's like uh, other people saw other things when they saw the piece. So wow. it's a continue. <laughs> yeah. Is it spinning around? And also
1: you dance around. And it's also interesting because this piece was unearthed at what did you say, three and a half meters down, something like that, in digging excavating the earth anatomical theater yet it also has such a powerful symbolic value in that in its multiple meanings and interpretations just as that earth ground holds you know a, a myriad of meanings and
0: interpretations that um yeah, yeah you, you never conclude. But uh, yeah, what I what I found fascinating is because you are involved when you look at the piece or when you look to the yeah. earth. You, know? you are asking yourself, you are choosing which perspective you want to see.
1: Ligia Nobre gave her essay about the earth anatomical theater, a beautiful title. She called it The Skin of the Earth Swirling. And she was talking about that you don't read the earth topographically, but you read it kinetically in terms of rhythms and temporalities and intensities and processes of transformation. She was referring to the theater when she talked about a geology of movement and in referencing the earth ground as swirling, right? And then the focus or the title of your doctoral thesis is an object wants to dance. A subject wants to spin. Exactly. <laughs> what does that mean?
0: <laughs> so it's like it's this constant movement. Like uh, when you are looking to the, for example, the piece of ceramic. For us to look, uh, the the rabbits or the or the parrot, you also need to dance with these objects. You need to allow yourself to have a different perspective or get out of your own mm. way to see the world, you know, the same way when you live in another country, you see the world differently. So you, the idea of dance is like uh, to know that you can always see differently things. But I'm also interested in the concept that uh, of the losing the object form, which means... Also, when it's dissolving this border of the object, Mm. when you dance with the object, and then when this object is pain, you are losing the object form.
1: Mm.
0: So, lose the object form, you are turning into the subject.
1: Yeah, this object-subject transformation feels very relevant when thinking about artificial intelligences, given that the idea of the subjectivity of the machine frightens so many people. Um, you know, the loss of control, like what you were talking about earlier as being a generator of um, new things in your work. Of course, as far as AI is concerned, the, the human perspective will also on some level always be the frame through which the technologies are developed, and yet, you know, learning from artistic practices like yours, I wonder, could we infuse machines with other forms of presence, with other ways of listening and speaking and performing? What could machines show us, right? Like through their dancing, as you would call it. Uh, What could they show us about parts of ourselves we haven't discovered yet? And what if they could rotate and spin? Could they maybe demonstrate expanded ways of being human?
0: Wow, yes.
1: The womb, what Lisa Nobre referred to as the womb of the Earth Anatomical Theater. It gave birth, as it were, to another artistic research project that began in 2015 and is ongoing called Phonosophia. And it includes drawings, clay instruments, somatic and vocal activations, also invisible activations, and scores.
0: Yeah. This is a project that I starts I, at the same time as the theatre, when I was investigating or asking myself about the, the earth organs. And then as the theatre is also uh, a voice amplification device, let's say. Yeah. And then I was thinking about uh, create the instruments in clay, so mm. they were all wind instruments, breathing instruments. so like parts would be the mouth or the parts is the ear, and the tubes I would call gravity, and mm. uh, because it's the only constant in the earth is gravity. So that's how I planned mm. the instruments. Some of them have uh, like a mini mouths, other more ears, so it's also. What's happening between your ear and your mouth? How does the earth operate in terms of listening and speaking? Yeah. So I start these instruments out departing from these kind of questions.
1: Yeah, and as you've said, you started making these instruments when you were in Bahia, digging the earth anatomical theater, reflecting on the earth's interior and its organs. And these instruments sort of resemble organs in themselves, right? Um maybe, maybe you can describe their size and their shape.
0: Yeah, they are possible to be played, like we could hold. So they are about 40 to 80 centimeters. Mm. So they are they related to trumpets somehow. So they are like, I would say, this dimension of a trumpet. Mm. In terms of uh, the shapes and forms of the instruments that relate to internal parts of the body, like uh, larynx, legs, uh, stomach, and guts, what's in the inner body. So the shapes uh, are like uh, long tubes, more or less. And for the specificity of this is, there is no other hole in the instruments. You can play just one note, which means your brief, it's super important. It's more like a voice as well. Mm. Because depends depends on the intensity of um, your breathing in these tubes. You deliver certain kind of notes. The winds or your breath resonates in the instrument. And then deliver a sound. So small notes, long notes, like a very spiral note, like, I mean, like this. Yeah, and also very strong notes where it's like, you know, like the heavy notes, like a circular notes.
1: Mm, Circular notes, spiral notes, long notes, short notes. Sometimes the cavity is bigger than the others. Sometimes the tube is more narrow and this and then the breath of the person who is playing is also very much
0: directing or, or determining the sound. Exactly, that's what I, I I'm proposing and how it it resonates in the in the instrument. So it's not like imposing anything, yeah. but it's really important to resonate. So it's not like amplifying, but resonating.
1: Right. And that's
0: the, the good word I think for, for for understanding the instruments. Yeah. Because what I want to expose this resonance of the things. Mm. The possibility of resonating, mm. which means giving, vibrating, delivering, saying, you know, things that normally is invisible. Yeah, and resonating
1: within the cavity of the instrument, resonating out into the room and resonating through even potentially the other instruments that are there or the bodies of the people who are not only playing but also uh, witnessing or Audience.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Create sort of a conversation without words, we can say that. Beautiful. The instruments they are also protagonists in a way. They don't need human to be with them. They exist without human presence. Mm. So that is for me is quite important because they have a voice, let's say. When I display them, they are not looking to one only direction. They can have a 360 yes. degrees direction. So it's never like uh, the classical way to put instruments. And they are like uh, human organs. They can be sometimes look like animal shapes. Mm. Or like uh, they are ambivalent in this uh, in different ways. They, mm. You don't really place them fully as an instrument only. The musical instruments also don't
1: necessarily create sounds that conform with our ideas about what music is or what it could sound like, right? Yeah. You say there is no virtuosity.
0: Yeah. Yes, like I'm not looking for or researching for the the best quality of sound or harmonical sound. Uh, but like more a connection. So who plays the instruments? Are, are normally, it doesn't need to be a musician. They mm-hmm. immediately, the people think that I need to to have a musician, or they they think that the only musician can play. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not about that. It's about people who assimilate the meaning of them. So it's mm-hmm. like when the instruments have a connection with the person. How you create this connection is also energizing. For example, one of the instruments that I call solua is departing from the aulus. is a Greek instrument. And then was like one person. So you normally see a woman playing this instrument with two mm. pipes. Mm. And then I, I inverted that. So I needed two persons to play one yeah. direction. So it's like one blowhole with two pipes. Yes. And my question is, like, how can you play or how can you breathe in one direction? How can you breathe together in one direction? Mm. What's the negotiation that you have, like, uh, if you play together, you know? Mm. So this kind of questions the instruments can create. So it's not about virtuosity in the sense that you need to have a perfect sound. But what happened in this negotiation of air in the tubes? Hmm. It's a negotiation between the shape and your air. So, you need to have this uh, investment. You need to also ask your own body how much you can breathe in, uh, the potential of your energy. And also, I, that's one of the reasons that I decided to have a like, wind instrument because the percussion is external, the string is external, but the breath is also from your body towards an yes. object. Yeah. It is also the energy that you give. Mm-hmm. So it's an exercise of giving as well, or caring mm-hmm. again, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and this and,
1: relationship between bodies again. These Exactly. yeah, These encounters between bodies. Yeah. Mm, that are always kind of also expanding
0: yeah. each other somehow. So I can say, even if the objects are still there, and then you know that it's about... Wind the instrument, you see the potentiality of giving. Can you give this as a, as audience? Can you give something? How much you, you get empathic to these objects mm. or these instruments? Are you doubting about them or are you giving to them a power? Yeah. yeah. So how, what kind of uh, audience you are? What yeah. kind of uh, perspective, what's the position that you want to play? in the society mm. when you, or when you are looking at work. Let's have
1: a listen to some Phonosofia instruments now. In 2020, some of your Phonosophia instruments and scores were part of an exhibition at Kunsthalle in Vienna called Cybernetics of the Poor. And the exhibition asked what is there left for art or for the individual in the face of the absolute power of cybernetics which practically permeates all aspects of our everyday lives. When you spoke on the podcast of the Kunsthalle Wien, You talked about cybernetics in terms of the human body, and also the instrument body, and their interrelationship, and also about empathy and a kind of give and take, which you related to indigenous Amazonian mythology.
0: Yeah. So in terms of uh, the Amazonian indigenous knowledge that I'm quite uh, interested in looking how the music is important in Mm. their culture. I mean, of course, I cannot generalize because there are quite many nations, Mm. but I've been reading texts about musicologists, musicians that wrote about um, this experience. But the the musical instruments are very aesthetical. They they really want them to be very beautiful and uh, very aggressive because for them, aggression and uh, beauty are together. Mm. And then they also use the instruments to communicate with, like it's a shamanic relation. Mm. So they communicate with the universe and mm. uh, and then that's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So normally they use flute for that communication mm. and that's another... Wind instrument, one. yeah. Wind instrument. Yeah. They are shamans that communicate either to their ancestors or they co- communicate uh, to the cosmos. Mm. So they make the link. Don't you think your instruments do that as well? Yeah, that's my, my intention somehow. I'm proposing that they have this gesture at least. Yeah, when you mentioned your
1: work's connection to indigenous mythology, I thought you might touch on ideas also from Eduardo Vivero Chicastro. Um, he has written, for example, about how a human and a jaguar would function alternately as potential figures and ground to each other. So, You, of course, talk about everything being in the foreground, but here he's talking about different bodies sharing kind of an agency and moving back and forth between foreground and background.
0: Yeah, for me, how to put all uh, all in the foreground, but at the same time you can spin around, like the same as the parrots and the rabbits. Mm. So that's the movement that you forward and spinning. I think Eduardo Vivero de Castro once said, when do you, in a, in a lecture, someone asked him, when, which position you take, like the, the perspective of the indigenous or the white man? He said, depends. I can choose, you know, like, uh, so it's basically, you can have uh, like this Mm. spinning position, you know, like which position you take, how do you spin yourself, because maybe we needed to spin around in, in order to understand things in a different way.
1: So we've been talking a lot about all these different bodies and identities that are present in your work and that emerge through your explorations. And I was just wondering, Camila, where your body is in all of this, uh, how you see it. In your book, the artist Foca Pisano writes about it as sort of this network of transversal connections and that your body ser- serves as a carrier of experience across all of these and i wonder if you agree with that
0: i think my my body i'm all the time trying to understand the energy is more like in these terms mm. i'm trying to understand how the energy the speed of the energy the transformation of the energy or trying to grab, I think my body is more aware and more uh, observing this. I don't know if when you ask me, where is my body? I mean, physical body, mental body. But I I think one way that I can answer is this about energy.
1: I'm also thinking about it with a view to AI and machine learning, um, this idea of searching for the body of the machine and also imagining its future functionality. Um, Falki Pisano wrote that your body functions as an interval. She says, an interval between context, registers, scales of size and abstraction. So she's referencing how your work and your body as an essential part of it moves between different spaces and times and scales, from the very particular and small to potentially the cosmic.
0: Yeah, I think it's quite important to understand this verticality of my work, the same way when I did this diagram that is also in my book, Roots and Revolution. The idea of uh, the, the etymology of the word travels, but it still have the same meaning, like the roots and radicality, you know. So yeah. my position is like uh, there are layers and this... Although there are layers, we never forget the beginning of things. Mm. I mean, going back to about the body and uh, what Falca Pisano said, I think maybe also she's talking about that I needed to travel to Usobixtan to in yeah. order to create in Bahia the Earth Anatomical Theater. So I need to travel myself and have this experience mm. to create something else completely different from where I start or something. So I need to be present and I needed to make connections. So my presence is, is also important.
1: Yeah. As I also reflect again about the Faenza piece with the, the image of the rabbit or the parrot or something else, you also spoke of that piece in a way that its presence had you said something like there are these uh the transits and latitudes and longitudes that it had traveled and elicited this single fragment of an object you talked about how this ceramic piece which is from a technique that originated in persia modern day iran developed was then developed in china transported by the portuguese and the dutch landed on Brazilian soil, and it continues like that. So that's in a way like you traveling also to Uzbekistan, to Turkmenistan, to exactly. many places. Exactly. This is really
0: nice parallel, yes. yeah. And I think it, for me, probably that's what makes sense mm. when these things, the traveling uh, happen. I mean, so you have a time travel somehow, no? Yeah. Amazing. And now here you are in Vienna talking about it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I also like if you think about the musical instruments, the Phonosofia instruments. They start in Salvador, in Bahia, Brazil, and then I made uh, second generation in Netherlands, in the center of ceramics, yeah. and then I exhibit in Spain. Now in Vienna, I'm producing the mouthpiece, so it's just like. Yeah. So
1: it's also Viennese. It's Viennese and it's also inspired by 4th century, 5th century, ancient Greece. And it's inspired by Amazonian indigenous instruments by the form of the, I would say, even the body when you talk about the ear and the mouth. And so it's...
0: Yes. <laughs> In my instruments, I, I really like to relate to very old, at the same time they are from very old times. Yes. They could be found in archaeological sites somewhere in the world. Yes. At the same time, they indicate to a future. So I like this kind of latitude of time, of mm. flexibility, of elasticity of time of my instruments. Yes. It's like a spaceless, timeless. I mean, they are all interconnected.
1: Crossing space and time and at the same time, spaceless and timeless. Camila Sposacci, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to speak with me and share your incredibly rich practice of exploring and crossing space and time, and how we can amplify our understandings and knowledge through listening and care and spinning and dancing, and how we can amplify our sense of self in the process. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, really. It continues now. (laughs) Yes. Keep continuing the conversation. It will be fantastic. To be continued, for sure.
1: This has been AI Murmurings, a project of Slow Research Lab. The music you've been hearing is from The Resonance Canons, composed and performed by Christopher Tigner, from his album, A Light Below, released in 2019 on Western Vinyl. To learn more, listen, and purchase Christopher Tigner's music, please go to wiresundertension.com. To receive updates on this podcast, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app, or follow our Instagram, it's AI underscore Murmurings. I'd like to thank our founding partners at the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and Sia Furler Institute at the University of Adelaide, audio engineer Fabian Reichle, and of course the Resonance Foundation for their generous financial support. I'm Carolyn Strauss, Director of Slow Research Lab.